Tonight's readings in Luke's Gospel in chapter 8, and that's found on page 1038 in the Bibles. So Luke 8, and we're starting at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and moaning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Where do you turn when you've tried everything else and nothing seems to help? Imagine you've got a big problem maybe at school or at work or with your health or in some relationship. I don't know about you, but my first port of call is often Google. And uh, apparently it is for lots of people. You may know that Google has an autofill uh, function based on popular searches. And I went on to Google to see what would come up if I typed in certain phrases. So I typed in, how do I know? And uh, Google autofilled it for me. And the first answer was, if he loves me. <laughs> Next one, why do I? Autofill suggestion, keep getting sick. Another one, how can I, autofill suggestion, make money? 
But when you've exhausted Google for online advice, who do you turn to? Where do you go? When your world, perhaps, is falling apart. This evening's passage tells the intertwined story of two desperate people whose worlds are falling apart. They're vastly different people socially, economically, and on the surface even spiritually. But they're both in need, and they both end up turning to the same person. Verse 40 sets the scene. Have a look down at it again. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. The opening scene is full of commotion. Jesus stands in the midst of this expectant crowd who are clamoring for his attention. You see, by this stage in Jesus' ministry, he was a major attraction, a traveling show, a popular figure. And these people have heard and seen perhaps some of the things that Jesus has said and done. Perhaps some of them had heard about Jesus commanding demons to come out of people. Perhaps others had seen the time when Jesus... Uh, commanded a, a, a healed a paralytic and he stood up and walked. Maybe others had still heard his teaching and not heard anything like it before. Whatever the case, they wanted more. Among the crowd is one man in particular. Everyone knows him. He's the synagogue ruler, the guy in charge of arranging all the services. He's respected and important. But no one has ever seen him like this. He too has been waiting for Jesus. And now he's seen kind of fighting his way through the crowd, desperate to see him. And he abandons any self-importance and he falls at Jesus' feet. He's desperate to see Jesus because his daughter, his only daughter, the little girl he loves, is dying. He pleads, Jesus, please come to my house today. Please help me. And we're not told the nature of her illness, only that death is drawing close. There's not much time at all. If she's got any chance of survival, it's going to need some quick action. To Jairus' great relief, Jesus heads towards his house. But there are so many people. Verse 42 says that a jostling crowd nearly crushes Jesus. Now imagine you're Jairus at that point. Wouldn't you just be shouting and pushing people out of the way? Get out of the way. My daughter is sick. Please, just move. But Jairus wasn't the only person in the crowd desperate to see Jesus that day. Verse 43 says that a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, as long as Jairus' little girl had been alive, also wants help. Up until now, no doctor had cured her disease. No one had healed her. To make matters worse, the disease would have ruined her life. According to the customs of the time, she was an outcast. She was ceremonially unclean. She couldn't go near or even touch anyone. It had been a long 12 years. Not only had the disease sapped away her strength and her body, but also probably her money and relationships. So you can see why she didn't want to make a fuss. Unlike Jairus, all she wants to do is touch Jesus. An act that she hopes will bring healing. So she too sneaks her way through the crowd. She gets into position and she reaches out her hand, just faintly grasping the edge of his cloak. And what happens? 
Well, verse 44, immediately her bleeding stops. She's healed as she just faintly grasped at Jesus' cloak. She felt supernatural power coursing through her body, healing her damaged tissues. After 12 years of agony and grief, she must have just thought, what happened? What just happened to me? Perhaps you're thinking something similar. That sort of disease doesn't just stop on its own that quickly. I'm the worst person at being ill. Um, I, I, yeah, I think I genuinely am. When I feel a cold coming on, my, my genuine first thought is this. This is it. <laughs> I, I, I'm done for. And then I go to the doctor and I tell them what's going on, or her, and, um, and they give me some, something to treat my illness, perhaps some antibiotics, or they send me away packing, um, you know, saying, uh, man up. But uh, my wife also thinks I'm a bit of a wimp when I, uh, when I get ill. But this woman's illness is nothing like that. Jesus didn't just provide her with anti uh, antibiotics. He didn't say to her, um, thanks for coming to see me today. Um, just monitor it and come back in a couple weeks' time. Keep an eye on it. I'm sure it will get better soon. No. Nor was this magic or, or some kind of trick. Nothing had helped this woman previously. There's only one explanation. This was a marvelous and miraculous healing demonstrating the power of Jesus. You see, Jesus has power. Here in particular, we see that he has power over disease. But what happened next must have put both Jairus and the woman in very awkward positions. First, for Jairus. The problem is that Jesus gets distracted. He stops. And he turns to the crowd and asks, who touched me? Poor Jairus. He doesn't know how many breaths his little girl has left. And Jesus is asking questions. And stupid ones at that. Look how Peter reacts in verse 45. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Now, Justin Bieber announced on Instagram a few weeks ago that um, should come up on the screen. Don't worry if it doesn't. But he's announcing uh, that uh, he's cancelling all meet and greets with his fans. And he said this on, on Instagram. He said, love you guys. Sweet. But I'm going to be cancelling all my meet and greets. I enjoy meeting such incredible people, but I end up feeling so drained and filled with so much of other people's spiritual energy that I end up so drained and unhappy. Want to make people smile and happy, but not at my expense. Peter thought that Jesus was being a bit of a diva. Who touched me? You can't touch me. Don't you know who I am? And then Jesus pursues it. Verse 46, someone touched me. Who is it? I know that power has gone out from me. Poor Jairus. Poor woman. She must have been mortified. Remember, she couldn't touch anyone because of her condition. And now Jesus is making the whole thing public. Have a look at verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She was afraid. And so she fesses up. But you know, Jesus wasn't embarrassing her. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that power had gone out with him, from him. 
but he wants to draw attention to this incident, to this woman in particular, for two reasons. First, to demonstrate the power and authority of Jesus, like he's been doing with all the miracles so far. But the second is also to draw something, to draw attention to something in the woman. Look at what, look what he says in verse 48. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. See, she was a desperate outcast. She knew that. But Jesus wanted everyone to see that she had come to the right person with her problem. She recognized that Jesus was unlike anyone that she'd ever known. And so she put her faith in him. And as a result, she departs in peace. Physically, her body is healed. But also, surely, spiritually, look how Jesus addresses her. He calls her daughter. Now, that's not a rebuke. It's a commendation. Jesus here is fanning into flame this, uh, young, this woman's faith, her newfound faith, and this encounter with Jesus would change her life forever. Now, that would be a wonderful place to stop. It seems like a happy ending. But remember Jairus. See, the miracle was no help to him. And then the worst happens. A man appears. He comes with news. And it's news that no dad ever wants to hear. It's too late. Verse 49, your daughter is dead. I have two little girls, Susanna and Elizabeth. They're very sweet and they bring us much joy. When I got home from college on, on Thursday night, Susanna was cooking, inverted me commas, uh, me supper with a handbag over her shoulder and wearing her mummy's heels. And uh, she was delighted when I said that the dried pasta looked yummy. Now, I cannot imagine for a moment the pain, the disappointment, the anger that must have flooded through Jairus' soul when that messenger came. There wasn't a moment to lose. Why did Jesus stop? Every minute he delayed was another minute Jairus' precious little girl suffered an inch closer to death. Now death had got the better of her. So the messenger tells Jesus, Jairus, not to bother Jesus anymore. Let him go. Let him go and help other people. He can't do anything for us now. But instead of going on his way, look at what Jesus says. Verse 50, he tells Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be healed. Now, what strange words of comfort Death had taken Jairus' daughter away from him. How can anyone not be afraid of that? Death is something that we all fear, isn't it? It's the one thing that no one can help us with because none of the people we turn to with our problems can uh, reverse the powerful grip of death, whoever they are. Death is the tragic reality we all face because we all share in the same human condition. According to the Bible, death is a consequence of turning away from our life-giving creator. Of course we're afraid of it, because it means coming before God to face his judgment for having rejected him. But now we see why Jesus took his time. Again, he knew exactly what he was doing, and this moment with Jairus sets the scene for one of the most wonderful accounts in all of the Gospels. They arrive at Jairus' house, together with a few disciples, Peter, John, James, and the girl's parents, 
Jesus walks into the room where this little girl lays. Everyone is crying. In fact, they're wailing. They're mourning. No father and mother should have to bury their daughter. Of course they're wailing. And then comes the next surprise. Verse 52, Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. You know those moments when something is so bad, it's laughable? Well, this is one of those. Even in their grief and pain, everyone laughs, not because it's funny, but because it's just ridiculous. The girl is dead. She's motionless. Her blood has run cold. She's lifeless. But Jesus knows that. And when he says that she's asleep, what he means is that her death is not going to be permanent. It's only temporary. And he's waited until now to demonstrate something even more incredible and unthinkable, which no one in the room is expecting. Let's read it again. Verse 54. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. She stood up, that little girl, like she'd just woken up from a dream. Well, no one is laughing now. No one says anything. How could you? Until Jesus tells them to give her something to eat. Now that her heart is pumping again, she'll need some fuel for her body. What just happened? That's the question they'll be asking. Well, it's this. You see, Jesus doesn't just have power over disease. He doesn't just have power over paralysis or nature or blindness. He doesn't just have power over armed soldiers who fall at Jesus' feet at points in the Gospels. Jesus even has power over death. He has power over death because he is not like anyone else. Now, let me ask you, especially if you're new to these things and you've been brought along tonight, do you know that? Do you realize who Jesus is? That he is God's son, who left his throne in heaven to come down in order to show us who he is and how we can be saved from the consequences of turning our backs on God. Now, I don't know who you trust or turn to when it matters most, <clears throat> most but I hope that maybe even for some of you here tonight, that you're beginning to see that there is no one more worthy of our trust than Jesus. Both Jairus and that woman, two vastly different people, discovered that for themselves. They came to him with two very different problems, but serious problems, and both ended up putting their trust in him. And why wouldn't they? They'd seen his power. To go to anyone else would be frankly ridiculous. But by the end, their lives were, <coughs> were, were changed forever. Their faith in Jesus was vindicated. They were right to go to him. Here's the wonderful thing for us. This same Jesus, this Jesus that we read about in the pages of Luke's gospel, is the same Jesus today. He's not just a first century celebrity. <clears throat> He's not just the great man of history. He's the Messiah. He's God's king and God's son. And people like you and me can come to him 
like Jairus and that woman did. That's not to say if you come to Jesus, he'll heal all your diseases. As Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, following him is not easy. And you only have to look around at one another to know that life is hard. In a gathering this large, many of you will have significant hurts in your life. Some of the things you, you're facing are, might seem unbearable. Some of you may even be facing hardship for being a follower of Jesus. I have an Iranian friend at, at my church from, from home who cannot go home to Iran because he's in danger physically. His family have rejected him. He cannot return home, otherwise he might risk losing his life. He started following Jesus, and now he's in danger. Others will be worried about what the future holds, not just for you, perhaps, but maybe even for your children. I, I'm certainly worried about the, the, the world that my girls are growing up in. Jesus doesn't promise an easy ride. The woman and that little girl will have discovered that later in life when they eventually got sick and died. So it's not to say it's easy, but it is to say that if you come to Jesus, he'll change your life from here on in. For instance, Jesus promises to be our shepherd. He promises to be with us and to lead us and to be for us. He promises that he'll never let us go, whatever we face, even great opposition. He promises to give us power to live for him when it seems frankly impossible. And most significantly, Jesus promises to get his followers through death itself. He has power over death. If you're already following Jesus, your faith in him will be vindicated. But if you're not yet following Jesus, let me ask you, who is there better to trust than him? Who's better to trust with your life than God's son? who raises little girls from the dead. Which leads us to the final surprise at the end of the passage. Look how it ends, verse 56. Her parents were astonished. Well, there's an understatement. My prayer, by the way, is that we'd all be astonished afresh at Jesus tonight. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, that is curious, don't you think? He's just risen this little girl from the dead, a miraculous thing, and then he says, oh, by the way, don't go and tell anyone about this. Not yet, anyway. You see, Jesus wasn't after fame, not in the same way as our celebrities today. Otherwise, he would have done this more publicly. He wasn't interested in publicity. Otherwise, he would have ordered them to go and put it out on the ancient equivalent of Instagram or, or Twitter. The reason that Jesus told them to stay quiet at this stage was because he came to do something even greater. He'd demonstrate his power on a grander scale in the days to come with something even more permanent than these miraculous but only temporary healings. Something life-altering, not just for that diseased woman, not just for Jairus and his little girl and for their family, but for people like us who live 2,000 plus years later in all four corners of the globe. As was planned with the Father, Jesus would go on to taste death himself. He would subject himself to the brutality and the judgment of the cross so that people like you and me might not face it ourselves. And then to rise again in power. 
the reason that you and I today can trust Jesus over and above everyone else is because no one else can say that they've done that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you so much for your Son, your King, Jesus, who subjected himself to death so that we might not have to face it. We praise you for the power that he exhibits tonight in this passage, raising people from the dead. And we thank you so much that his followers, his sheep, those who put their trust in him, will also be raised. And so we pray in line with the song we sang earlier, that you'd cause our faith to rise cause our eyes to see uh, his majestic love and authority. In his name we pray. Amen.